Well, for those of you just walking in late, welcome to Crossroad. We are super glad you are here, at least to start the semester. I know for a lot of you, your uh, class schedule and things like that, this might be the only one you come to. Uh, I know, for example, every year, a bunch of young life people get to come the first couple and then they get going. God bless you guys. Take the gospel. You go and sow where you're going to be. But if you're getting to be here and this is going to be part of your semester and all that kind of stuff, I hope that you'll be encouraged. One of the things we like to do here, if this is your first time, is we worship and we study the Bible and that's kind of it. Don't do a lot of different things. We try to do those two things, get you in and out of here and let you be encouraged by the depth of the word of God. Uh, If you are kind of coming, we go through a book. We usually go through it verse by verse. It can take forever. It took me three years to do John. And uh, we're starting Luke. So you might as well get ready for all the Luke, I am your father jokes. You're going to hear them all the time, right? So we're kicking off the book of Luke. And, uh, you know, here we go into the Gospels. If you said, if I said to you, who wrote most of the New Testament? You would say Paul, right? Well, the answer is Paul if you go by the number of books they wrote. Paul wrote the most number of books. But if you go by sheer volume of words, it's Luke. Luke wrote more of the New Testament by word count than anybody else. Luke wrote Luke and Luke wrote John. I'm kidding, he wrote Acts, okay? Somebody's like, I know that ain't right. One for me, all right? Good for you. Luke wrote Luke and Luke wrote Acts. And they're meant to be one long book. Will we do Acts after this? I don't know, it's gonna be three years from now. We'll find out when we get there. Now, one of the first things we have to go over is the question we ask at the start of every Crossroads semester is what'd you do over your summer break, right? So here's what I did over my summer break. There he is, the Antichrist. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, I know you really can't see him, but he's that blurry in life. That's the sad part. That's what he looks like. He is in the room. So if you hear a baby crying and hear me going, hey, that's my kid. So back off. But also I would do that to any kid. So let's be honest about that. All right. If you're not, if you're kind of new to Crossroad, I like to joke about how I would theoretically torture my child because it's funny. Uh, but for those of you who've been here for a while, let me tell you a little piece of irony. Whenever I feed him, it doesn't matter which side I feed him. Like I've got a bottle. He throat chops me. Like he'll just go pop and hit me. I'm like pre-chop. Good boy. Like, but then I throw him in the closet for two hours. It's ninja training. What? It's going to be bad. All right. He's ready. All right. Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one. Okay. Here's, here's the situation with Luke. Luke is a Gentile who is writing a gospel to Gentiles. So here's the thing about the gospels. They're not biographies. And the problem with a lot of people when they pick up to read the Bible, because they want to stay about the life of Jesus, they pick up and read the gospels and they immediately go, I don't understand what's going on here because you're reading it like a biography and they're not biographies. They are written to specific people for specific reasons, okay? And because Luke is a gospel written about a Jewish story and trying to translate it to a Gentile audience, and if you're kind of new to all this, see in in Jesus's time, in Jesus's culture, there were Jews and there were Greeks or Romans. Romans and Greeks are synonymous to the Jews. So what you've got is this Jewish story and Luke as a Gentile is trying to translate the story to Gentiles so they kind of understand what's going on, all right? So he's taking this very Jewish story and trying to tell it to a group of people who wouldn't hear it otherwise so they can get it. Now the other gospels are all written from a Jewish standpoint. They're all written to Jews by Jews. 
Uh, but Luke really sticks out in this way. It's one of the reasons I picked it. It's because it's going to allow us to study some things about the life of Jesus in a different way. But beginning the book of Luke, he starts off with a preamble, all right? He starts out with a preamble, and a lot of people never read the preambles. They skip right to the stuff, but the preambles are huge. So let's read this. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll go all the way to verse 4. And now you know why it takes three years to do a book, right? Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught, all right? So we already go back. First of all, Luke is writing to a person. He's writing to a man named Theophilus, but here's the problem. The name Theophilus is suspect because in Greek, Theophilus means God lover. That's what the word means. So automatically, people who study these type of things think Luke wasn't really writing to a person he was writing to the Greek church and under the name God lover. I'm sending you a letter, God lover, you Gentile God lover. And so that's what's kind of going on here. The name's too broad. It's, it'd be like if I wrote a book and titled it to, hey, Democrats. Like, it's, it's such a wide group of people. You go, there's no guy named Democrat or no guy named Republican. It has to be to a bigger group of people. That's kind of what's going on here. But I want you to notice what Luke says here because it's going to come back in, in, in a little bit in a big way. He says, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so from the very beginning, when we dive into Luke, we have a more fundamental question we have to answer. And it's a question I get a lot from college students. It's a, it's a question that you have to deal with at some point. You have to work your way through and you have to come to peace with. And the question is, why do I believe the Bible? Why do I trust the Bible? Okay, because here's the thing about the Bible. You either believe it or you don't. And some of the stuff that's going on in the church world are groups of people that are saying, we wanna believe the Bible, but we're gonna edit it heavily so we don't have to believe all of it. Well, you can't do that. You either have to believe it or not, okay? And so the question that we all sometimes have to deal with and have to wrestle through is, why do I believe the Bible? What in the Bible makes me believe it? Okay, and so for the first two weeks of Crossroad, I'm gonna spend talking about the Bible. Why do we believe it? Why do we trust it? How do we know we can trust it? Why do we put our faith in it? Those kind of questions, okay? And the first thing that I want you to see tonight is that the Bible sets itself up as an unquestioned authority. The Bible says within itself, you have to believe us, but the question becomes why? Why do I believe these things? Why do I put my faith in them? Why do I trust them? Okay. Now, the easiest way to do this is going to be to look at what Paul says, because Paul wrote the most of the New Testament to different groups of people, right? He wrote the most letters. 
you know, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, most, most of the group of people. So we have a broader span of groups of people that were getting what he wrote. And I want you to see one of the things he wrote. This is in 2 Timothy. Now, you can flip over to 2 Timothy if you want to, but I'm about to go really fast. You're not going to be able to keep up unless you're the flash. So here we go. In 2 Timothy, this is what he says to Timothy. But they, and in they, he means false teachers, okay? He means people who are teaching false doctrines to the church, and he's saying these people will not get very far. They will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as it was of those two men. He had been talking about these two guys. You, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. So he's saying to Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, by the time Paul writes 2 Timothy, this is Paul's last letter. As a matter of fact, in the letter he says, they're about to kill me. They're about to pour me out like a drink offering, meaning they're gonna cut my head off and let me bleed, right? He, this is his last letter. Timothy is now the pastor of the church in Ephesus, the Ephesian church. And Paul's writing him his last letter. And he says to him, these false teachers, they're not going to last. You're going to last. And the reason you're going to last, Timothy, is, and if I had given you a blank piece of paper before I said these words and said, what does Paul finish this sentence with. The reason you're going to last, Timothy, is the absolute last thing you would have written down. I mean, you'd have written down all kinds of things. You'd have written down because the word of God is with you, because the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ is with you, because the grace of God rests upon you, because you have been ordained from before time to, to succeed. All those kind of things. But the absolute last thing you would have put down would have been because you follow Paul's life. See, notice what Paul does here. He doesn't say those things. He says to Timothy, they will become evident that they are in folly. It will become evident. Let's reread that as a matter of fact. They will not get far. Their folly will be plain to all. You, however, have followed. Let me go back. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Are you seeing what Paul's saying here? He's saying the reason you will never be outed as a fake is because you follow me. Now, none of you would have written that down. In our time, it smacks of such arrogance that it just, it blows our minds that anyone would talk like that. But not only does Paul talk like that to Timothy, because here's the first thing that a serious Bible student will come to or an advanced Bible study will come, advanced Bible student will come to, is they'll say, of course he says that to Timothy. Timothy is Paul's disciple. But Paul wouldn't have said that to random Joe. Like if you come to me and you say, Greg, disciple me, and I say, okay, and I disciple you for three years, and then all of a sudden you get up to give a Bible study, and I say, you're gonna do great if you follow the things I taught you. You go, of course you say that to somebody. But you don't walk up to random Joe on the street and go, hey, do what I do. And they go, and you are like, I tried it. It was awful. Like, <laughs> jail's bad, okay? But it's not just there that Paul says something that's so strikingly, in our ears, arrogant. All over Paul's letters, what's called the Pauline 
corpus. You're like, corpse? Yes, body. The Pauline corpus. That's the body of letters Paul wrote. All over that list of works, Paul says the same things over and over. I want you to watch them, okay? In Philippians 3.17, he says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I love this verse because Paul says, imitate me. And if you don't want to imitate me, imitate the people who imitate me. Like, that's funny. Like, he's like, imitate me. And if that's a little too harsh, this dude imitates me. You should imitate him. That's just a good idea for you. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. First Thessalonians 1, 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 4, 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Whoa! I mean, is there anybody in this room who would come up here right now and do this? Do what I do and God will be with you. Wow. Paul is on an ego trip, possibly because he got beaten up a lot. But here's the thing. Do what I do, practice these things, and God will be with you. That is almost blasphemy. See, the only way that's not blasphemy is if it's true. Are you following me? The only way God doesn't strike this dude dead for saying such a thing is if God had authorized him to say such a thing. Second Thessalonians 3, 9. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. And probably the most succinct place that he says it, you want a life verse, here's one for you. First Corinthians 11, 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I mean, he's writing this over and over and over and over to all the different churches he wrote. Live like me. Do what I say. Listen to what I'm telling you. He goes further, and, he, and in uh, 1 Corinthians, a little bit earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, he had said this. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that Paul was a missionary. He was constantly going out and planting churches. And what he says in 1 Corinthians is, I tell every single church that I plant, every single place I go, do what I do, live how I live, do what I say. There's no debate. You cannot seriously debate the fact that Paul considered his writings to be authoritative, okay? Now, you can come up with stupid things and go, I just don't want to think that. Shut up. Okay, good argument, yes. But you cannot seriously debate that Paul did not expect to be obeyed when it came to what he said about the gospel and about how to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, uh, he says in certain places, uh, he says things like, well, let me just, uh, let me think about this for a minute. 
I think I got my slides out of order a little bit here. No, okay. Um, he says in places in the New Testament, things like, I am certain you will have no other opinion than mine. Would anybody in here tweet that? I dare you, and not quote that passage, by the way. Yeah, I'll do it right now. Galatians, boom. No, I'm talking like going, Mayfield's is the best. I am certain you will have no other opinion than mine. <laughs> you would not do that. And especially you wouldn't do it the more serious the matter got. Like when you're playing around, Mayfield, some of you go, actually, I will tweet that. I'm doing it now. I'm not listening. I'm tweeting. Okay? But the more serious... The subject matter got, the, least, the less likely it would be that you would say that. Paul says, when it comes to the thing of God, I am certain that you will have no other opinion than my opinion. Boom. Paul says, you ready for this? If you, if, if he writes this in Thessalonians. If someone disagrees with the words I have written to you, have nothing to do with them. Paul says in places that he wrote, get ready for this. If someone disagrees with the words I have written, then they are a fool and do not know God. Who says stuff like that? How do you believe a book with stuff like that in it? Well, it comes down to one of the, the words in the Bible that we've replaced. We don't use it much anymore. And that's a problem. It's one of the most foundational words of the Bible. When I say Jesus and the 12, you say disciples. But they were disciples, but more importantly, they were apostles. Now see, here's the thing. All the apostles were disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. Let me say it to you again. All apostles are disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. Apostles are a subset of the disciples. So we've kind of jettisoned the word, but it's one of the very important words that comes along. And when you read Romans 1, for example, every single letter that Paul wrote by himself, there's some letters Paul wrote where somebody co-wrote it with him, but every letter Paul wrote by himself, he begins with the phrase, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. So that word becomes central to what we have to understand about Paul. It becomes central to what we have to understand about all those 12 guys. Okay? Because we don't know that, we don't use that word apostle a lot. We've made it interchangeable with disciple. We don't get why it's so important, but it's a huge deal. Okay? Because apostle basically means official, authorized spokesperson. Official authorized spokesperson. The best way for me to explain it to you in today's terms, it would be like a diplomat, like the ambassador to Great Britain. Now in today's world with our modern technology and all this kind of stuff, the, the ambassador to whatever nation really doesn't do anything but pick up the phone. Mr. President, they want us to kill us all. What should we do? He says, don't. <laughs> I'll relay your message. They say, yes. He said, no. Like, that's all he's got to do. But you go back, you know, 100 years, think of this way. The very first ambassador from the United States of America to Great Britain to the court of St. James, John Adams. 
John Adams is over in the court of St. James. King George is sitting there looking at him in the face going, how did y'all win? Because we're America. What's up? That's how we won. All right. That's, that's if I was John Adams, that's how that conversation would have gone. All right. But John Adams probably was a little more, you know, no, he probably wasn't either. But let's say, let's think, let's pretend he was. It takes two months to sail across the Atlantic. It takes two months to sail back. He sends a letter. He has to wait two months for it to come back. There are times where he just has to say, here's what America thinks. And back then when the Congress sent people to be ambassadors, they said, you speak for America. What you say is what we say, go. Because it took too long to go back and forth. John Adams could have gotten us back into a war. That's an official spokesperson. And when Paul says, I am an apostle, he is saying, God told me I am his official spokesperson. What I say is what God said. Wow, that's big. So when you see Paul open up Romans saying, I am an apostle set apart for the gospel. It's a good rap. The point that he's making is what I am telling you is official. Now, no one knows exactly what letter of Paul's is first. Like we don't know which one of his letters he wrote first. Could be Galatians, could be 1 Corinthians, right? There's probably crackpots out there that go, no, he definitely wrote 2 Thessalonians first, and then 1 Thessalonians, and then 3 Thessalonians, which we don't have, like, whatever. Whatever you think, there's no question that, that his earliest letters were Galatians and 1 Corinthians. Now, we don't know which one was first, but one of those is probably the first, and the other one was probably second. Uh, because they're that early in, in Paul's writing. And in both of those letters, he goes to great lengths to explain how he's an apostle. Okay, so we're gonna look at Galatians. This is Galatians 1. And in Galatians 1, Paul says this. He's writing to the church. He says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel, that the gospel was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, Peter didn't teach me the gospel. John didn't teach me the gospel. James didn't teach me the gospel. Jesus Christ himself taught me the gospel. Now, if you know Paul's story, he's on the road to Damascus. He gets struck blind and Jesus starts speaking to him. Why are you persecuting me? And during that time, Paul is saying, Jesus and I had a conversation and he taught me the gospel himself. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Paul killed people who were Christians. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not immediately consult with anyone. As a matter of fact, Paul went and started preaching the gospel and preached the gospel for 20 years 
before he met an apostle, another one. He just went and, and went and started preaching. Just went out there and started telling people, here's what I know. Here's what I'm supposed to say. Okay? When he comes out later on in his life, what you're going to see is when he starts writing these letters, Peter gets a hold of one of those letters. And look what Peter says about these letters. He says, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. This is in 2 Peter. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Peter calls Paul's writings Bible. Now, I cannot stress to you how big a deal it is for a Jew to call anything scripture. They don't do that. But Peter saw in Paul something straight from God. And he said what he writes is scripture, which I think is kind of funny because in the book of Galatians, Paul writes down some very specific sins of Peter. It's like Peter was totally sinning and I called him out and I got in his face. I was like, you're sinning. And he was like, you're right. You know, Peter by this point is like, put it in there. Who cares? By that point, I look bad enough. Like, what else could you put in there? I killed people. Like, what does it matter? I would love to sing the fight, Paul and Peter. That would have been one of the most epic beatdowns ever. That's like Hulk and Andre the Giant. Like, that's huge. That's, that would be, that'd be monumental. Paul at one point begins to doubt his message. I want you to take some encouragement by that. All right. I want you to take some encouragement by the man that Jesus Christ called the greatest person who was ever born. John the Baptist at one point wrote Jesus Christ a letter saying, are you the one? John the Baptist, who, when he heard Mary's voice while he was in utero, leapt. The Holy Spirit so on him, he leapt in the womb when he heard the name, the voice of Jesus' mother. Jesus called to him the greatest born of woman. And at one point, John the Baptist writes a letter to Jesus and says, are you the one? The apostle Paul at one point, begins to doubt the gospel. Is this right? Is what I'm doing right here? If you think you're gonna cruise through your Christianity without any bumps in the road, let me assure you, John the Baptist and Paul go, yeah, right. Be encouraged. Trust him and not yourself. He begins to doubt. He doesn't know what to do. So Jesus sends him another revelation. Jesus sends an angel or speaks to him. We don't exactly know what it was. But Paul writes this in Galatians and says, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seem influential, seemed, seemed influ influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Paul's saying, I began to doubt, I began to have questions, I began to wonder if the gospel I preach is really the gospel, I began to wonder if what I'm saying is right, so I didn't know what to do, and Jesus said, here's an idea, why don't you go ask the other apostles? So I went to the other apostles, they're the only guys who could judge me, I'm an apostle, and I put my gospel before them, 
at least to the ones that I thought were the ones that were the influential ones, the apostles. And I said, is this the gospel? This is what I'm teaching. What do I, is this, what do I do? And when James and Cephas, that's Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. See, what Paul's saying here is, I went to them and I told them my gospel and I said, is this the gospel? And they said, yeah, it's the gospel. That's it. That's what we heard from him. We're telling you, go ahead. So when you open up your Bible and you sit down and you crack it open and you look at the words of the book of Ephesians and you look at the words of the book of Philippians and you look at the words of the book of the Corinthians and you say, how do I know I can trust this? You can trust it because the guy who wrote it went and sat down with John and Peter and James, who was Jesus' brother, and James, who was John's brother, and said, is this what Jesus taught you? And they said, yeah. That's exactly what we heard from him. And then the question becomes, okay, well, how can I know that what Luke wrote is right? Because Luke's not one of the apostles. Luke's not one of the guys who hung out there. And what about Mark? Mark's not one of the apostles. And what about whoever wrote Hebrews? You don't even know who wrote Hebrews. What about those kind of things? How do we know that? Well, you know that because you know that Mark is mentioned in Paul's letters as a guy who hung out with Peter. And Luke is mentioned by Paul three times in his letters. He's mentioned in Colossians, in 2 Timothy, in Philemon. These guys didn't just sit down. And if you remember, when you turn to Luke 1, and it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses. Who's he talking about? The guys he hung out with. Luke hung out with Paul. Luke hung out with Paul, so that means Luke hung out with Peter. And he says, I know these guys, those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, ministers of the word. They delivered them to us. Luke is saying, I interviewed John. I interviewed Peter. They delivered to me these stories. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. Luke's saying, I knew these guys. I know the stories they tell. And I wanted to write them down in an orderly way because I wanted you to hear them. But you need to leave knowing that Luke does not record these stories for no reason. He doesn't sit down and write them down out of some, of, some kind of journalistic neutrality like we try to achieve today, which is bogus. No such thing. He writes them down for a reason. He says this, so that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke says, I wrote these things down so you can have certainty. That what I wrote down is what you have been taught. He's not the only one. The apostle John, when he wrote the book of John, at the very end of it wrote this, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing, 
you may have life in his name. That by believing, you may have life in his name. These things were written down by men appointed by God so that they would be passed to you and me. Now, how did that all happen? I'm gonna talk about it next week. But the thing you need to know is that these guys were set apart for that very purpose. Appointed by God to do these things so that you and I would be able to sit here, study these words and know that what we're hearing is what they wrote down and what they wrote down is what they heard from him. All right, next week, how did the Bible get from them to you? We'll talk about how the Bible got from them to you. But join me in prayer. And uh, I'm so glad you're here. And I hope you'll make it a part of your semester. Father God, as we come to study your word, I pray that you will make us grateful for it. That we would not be lax when it comes to so great a gift. That you have set before us your word. And I pray that we will see in it life. When hundreds and thousands of Jesus' disciples abandoned him. He turned to the apostles and said, are you going to leave too? And they said, there's nowhere to go. You are the only one with the word of life. Father, there are no facts that can convince us your word is truth. Only the Holy Spirit. Only the Spirit can open our eyes and minds to know that you are good and true. So we pray as we open your word, you will grant us that grace to know you, to see you, to follow. And God, in all things, we pray for your glory. And so in Jesus' mighty name, we thank you. Amen.